Like a soaring mountain peak, this text defines the New Testament landscape and proclaims the doctrine of salvation. In the words of our text, we are in the courtroom of heaven. There is no jury. There are no deliberations. The king of heaven sits at the judge's bench at the bar. He hears the cases against sinners of every description. In every case, the evidence is overwhelming and the charges so heinous that, that cries for conviction and punishment are incessant and almost undeniable. The judge reviews each case and with dispatch passes judgment. Guilty. 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 The refrain echoes through the courtroom and souls both great and small, famous and infamous, rich and poor, old and young, healthy and ill, receive their justly deserved punishment. Everlasting fire. But, according to the words of our text, there are some whose judgment is opposite. They are sinners as are all the others. But somehow they have found grace in the eyes of the judge. We find out in this chapter that they are the people he has loved from the foundation of the world. We find out that they have a powerful advocate to plead for their acquittals. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. His plea for them rests upon his obedience in their place and his discharge of every penalty that the justice of God would exact from them. They are in heaven's courtroom and they have no doubt about the outcome of their cases because their eyes fasten on their advocate and they know that he will not fail. When the judge comes to those cases the solemn refrain of guilty verdicts ceases and becomes something different. Instead of pronouncing the conviction of those defendants, the judge announces their liberation. When those cases are before the court and the advocate has presented his evidence, the judge hears the advocate and pronounces every last one of those people 
acquitted. Acquitted. That's the theme I want you to consider today. To gain the verdict of acquittal is to have the court declare that you are not guilty of the charges against you. And what makes the difference between the two groups of defendants? One little phrase. In Christ Jesus. There's a difference between heaven and hell. There's the difference between paradise and everlasting punishment. In Christ Jesus. We don't speak of any emotional experience. We speak about the fact either you are in Christ Jesus or you are not. And your eternal destiny hangs on which side of that line you occupy. Every criminal defendant in human proceedings longs to hear the words of acquittal when the judge announces the verdict at the end of the trial. But in a human tribunal, even the strongest case on either side can make no guarantees. And it frequently happens in human tribunals that those who should be convicted are set at liberty. But in the courtroom of heaven, the verdicts are certainties. Our text presents us four clear aspects of this verdict of acquittal. First, the solemn declaration. There is therefore now no condemnation. The statement that there is no condemnation rests on the material that has preceded it in the epistle to the Romans. The last verse of chapter 7 teaches us that God has delivered us from the body of this death through Jesus Christ our Lord. The last verse of chapter 6 teaches us that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The last verse of chapter 5 teaches us that grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And at the end of chapter 4, we read that Jesus our Lord was raised from the dead for our justification or because of our justification. And throughout that fourth chapter of the epistle, we learn that justification is not the result of our efforts to obey the law. It is the result alone of the work of Jesus Christ. 
We hear those famous words resounding throughout the epistle. The just shall live by faith. Those are the words that smoked the soul of Martin Luther. Because of all that the Holy Spirit has said. Because our justification leads us to peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we find at the beginning of chapter 5, we can be sure of this verdict of acquittal. We know that we are sinners. We know that we have sinned against God. We know that if we are left to ourselves to make our way for ourselves, there is no hope for us. If we have to determine whether we have been sincere enough in the prayer of conversion, if we have to to determine whether we have had sufficient brokenness or repentance over our sins, then we are lost forever, if that's what we have to do. But the judge made the solemn declaration in our text that there is no condemnation. And that declaration leads us to the second great aspect of this verdict of acquittal, the present demonstration. For we find a wonderful truth in our text, in the little word, now. 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 Today, at this moment, to hear that verdict of acquittal when we stand before the judge of all the earth will be wonderful. When the books are opened before that great throne. But we hear it now. There is therefore now no condemnation. The word condemnation in our text is a compound word that intensifies the basic concept of judgment. It is a judgment according to something. It has to do with the proclamation of guilt. Condemnation goes hand in hand with guilt. You transgress the law, you have become guilty. The present reality is that this condemnation of which we read in verse 1 is not now the heritage of the Christian. And it never shall be. It never shall be. And how you get into such a condition is not a mystery to us. The scriptures tell us. Look back at John's Gospel, chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath 
Notice that, the present tense. Hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He shall not come into condemnation. And in that text is the key issue. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Do you believe on Christ? Do you receive and rest upon Christ alone for the salvation of your soul? If your answer is yes, the Bible tells you there is no condemnation for you now. It's not a verdict that you wait to hear at the judgment day. It is true now. So this present demonstration of which we read in our text means that you don't need to labor under the clouds of doubt and moroseness. There are a lot of people who think that this is part of what repentance is, that you have to labor along feeling bad about one thing or another. But the point that Paul is making is that those who are in Christ Jesus are never going to be under condemnation. They're never going to hear that guilty verdict. There is now no condemnation. And now we come to the third aspect of this verdict of acquittal. The comforting affiliation. The comforting affiliation. So we began with the solemn declaration and then proceeded to the present demonstration. Now the comforting affiliation. Who are the people of the text? Who are the people that receive this verdict of acquittal? They are the people who are in Christ Jesus. The concept of being in Christ Jesus is among the most precious truths of the text. If you are in Christ, then the comforts of salvation belong to you. You don't have to do anything to get them. They belong to you. Because by faith you have trusted in Christ and you are in Christ. So think of the things that are yours because you are in Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, the spirit of Christ dwells in you. In the context that we read in chapter 8, you find a, ref a reference to that in verse 9. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. To be in Christ is to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you belong to Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a joint heir with Christ. So that all that Christ has achieved 
by his sinless life and his sacrificial death, you achieve because you are in him. And here's glory. If you're in Christ Jesus, then you wait for the resurrection of your body. Even now, you wait for the resurrection of your, your body. That is your certain destiny. Paul could think upon it as he approached his death, his departure from this world. He was waiting for the redemption. We read of that truth in chapter 8, verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, speaks of longing, of desire, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. You wait for the resurrection. If you are in Christ Jesus, then you live in hope. And you remain confident in the face of all the changes of this life, whatever they are. And how do you get into Christ Jesus? By faith. By faith. By the union with Christ, which is your effectual calling. Turn back to Romans to chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. When you are in Christ, you are waiting for the redemption of your body. When you're in Christ, it means that you reject categorically the idea that there is any other way of entering heaven. Being in Christ Jesus then means that you forsake all others. And you cleave only to him. So the question is, are you part of that number who are in Christ Jesus? Because if you are, then the final aspect of this verdict of acquittal will be true of you. The certain sanctification. Sanctification. 
The last part of our text has caused some trouble. But it applies to all who are in Christ Jesus. Read it carefully now. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, here is the place to be careful. Because there is a tendency to regard the word who as referring only to part of those who are in Christ Jesus. Who, that is. They're differentiating among those who are in Christ Jesus, between those who walk after the flesh and who walk after the Spirit. But if you read it carefully, the phrase or the clause that begins with who is modifying all that comes before it. Those who are in Christ Jesus, who are they? They do not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How, how do I know that? Well, if we look down, chapter 8, a few verses, to verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they, now here's the distinction that must be consistent with our text. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, they do mind, they pay attention to, they fix their focus on those things. But then we read in verse 6, to be carnally minded, that is, if you fix your mind on the things of the flesh, you are carnally minded, that is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded, those who fix their minds upon the things of the spirit, that is life and peace. And then in verse 7, it's categorically said, the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the mind that characterizes those who are not in Christ Jesus is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Those are statements of ability. I have a little more to say about that tonight in our message this evening. So then, in verse 8, they that are in the flesh cannot, cannot please God. But lest you get the wrong idea here, Paul says immediately in verse 9, but you, that is speaking to the believers in Christ Jesus, Ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And if he doesn't dwell in you, Paul said, you don't belong to Christ. So, having said all that, we go back to the first verse. And here is 
the identification of those who are in Christ Jesus, they walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Here's what marks them. They do not walk after the flesh. Does it mean they don't ever sin? No, it doesn't. The Bible tells us that they do. But it also tells us that their whole aim in life is governed by the Spirit of God. So those who argue that the no condemnation is only applying to those who don't walk after the flesh, they miss the whole point of Paul's writing in this passage. The final statement of our text is the definition of the character of all those who are in Christ Jesus. They don't walk after the flesh. Now there's a sobering aspect to this truth because there are a lot of people who profess that they are believers in Christ who do walk after the flesh. And how do we consider them in the light of this text? Those who profess faith in Christ but who walk after the flesh give the lie to their profession. There's no such thing as a third, a middle ground that some have called carnal Christianity. There's no such thing as that. To be carnal is to be dominated by the flesh. So when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, you are yet carnal and walk as men. What he was saying to them was, you need to pay attention. If you're in Christ Jesus, you need to walk according to the Spirit. So the language of Romans 8 makes it plain that there are two classes of people in this world. Some are in Christ Jesus. And the rest are not. Those are the two groups of people. And those who are in Christ Jesus will live in a certain way. They will not be caught up with all that goes on in the world around them. They will hold the world at arm's length. Now the text does not mean that everyone who is in Christ Jesus is always moving ahead. The text does not mean that people who are in Christ Jesus will not fall. Our experience teaches us that they will. Because we have. But the text underscores this truth. Those who have been joined to Christ in faith have known the reality of transformation in their lives. They don't behave as they did before. Let us turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. Verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, 
Let us also walk in the Spirit. And the whole context deals with the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. So Paul is saying, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Here's the exhortation. It rests on the reality of this union. If I belong to Christ, I'm going to behave in a certain way. And that behavior, as Paul would describe it there, is the mark of God's salvation. So those who hear the verdict of acquittal in the courtroom of heaven know that there will never be condemnation. They don't have to be afraid that somehow they're going to mess it up and stumble into condemnation again. No, that is why Paul said there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And those who are in Christ Jesus, we know, because they walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Acquittal. It's one of the great hallmarks of Christian living to know the reality of acquittal in the courtroom of heaven. I trust that today you can live in the light of that great declaration that there is therefore now, because of all that has gone before, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you are in Christ Jesus, that is your heritage. And I trust that the Lord will underscore it in your soul today and enable you to live in the light of gospel truth.